0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So I want to thank you for uh, inviting us. Uh, Other than uh, being extremely well-versed and steeped in Buddhist teachings, your teacher, Gil Fronsdale, is also very generous, if you haven't noticed. And so when he asked me uh, to give a talk, I said uh, I'd be willing to do so. I'd be honored to do so. But uh, could I bring some friends? He said, well, that's sort of unusual. Usually there's one person sitting there. And uh, I said, yeah, well, I said I could talk about my work or I could bring some of the people that uh, have experienced uh, some of that and it would be so much more interesting to get it directly, I thought. So he immediately agreed, and so here we are. And um, my name is Jacques Verdun. I'm the founder and director of Insight Prison Project, which is a nonprofit that uh, has pioneered um, the kind of programs that give prisoners a chance to as we say, you know, we sell one-way tickets out of there. Uh, but give them a chance to uh, deeply look within and um, study and, and, and look at, uh, as the introduction said, you know, what was the pain that I lashed out from that I can heal? And so we don't do so much looking for jobs or doing academic achievements. We think those things are very important and we work with organizations that do that. But for you to keep your job and, and your place, um, you know, un- until you turn these negative habit patterns around, you're, uh, you have a good chance to relapse and um, go back to prison. So the the programs that we offer are, uh, other than yoga and meditation, are um, a emotional literacy group process program, a uh, a victim-offender dialogue program, and um, there's a few other things that we do. Um, We have a program that looks deeply at Uh, learning how to question your own thinking. Coming a little bit from the thought that you hear not so much because of what you did, but because of you believe the thoughts that justified what you did. So things like that. Um, It's it's been around for about 10, 12 years and it's beginning to spread. Uh, the, The victim offender program is in a number of other prisons. And we're also working uh, quite uh, extensively in Central and South America, uh, working with gang violence, uh, an intern from the State Department found us on the internet so that 's how that happened and and uh, gang in, uh, members in uh, South america. Uh, Learned how to be gang members in American prisons. This is one of our exports, actually. So, um, uh, <clears throat> I'm gonna ask uh, my uh, co-conspirators here to introduce themselves. And then, then uh, I'll set up a little bit of a way to weave it together. And then uh, we're going to each speak to you. And then we thought it might also be uh, interesting to open it up for some questions and dialogue. So, um, Pat, would you want to start? We'll go down the line.
2: Hello everyone, and good morning. Uh, First of all, I'd like to thank you for allowing us to come in and sit with you and meditate with you. And speak with you. I'm really, truly, truly grateful to be here today. Um, I served 20 years, 64 days, nine and a half hours, and 32 seconds in prison. And I was released 10 months ago today. Today is my 10 month anniversary, uh, March 3rd of this year. However, I was released from prison five years prior to that. And when I say I was released from prison, prison no longer had an effect on me. It no longer had a hold on me. It was where I was being kept. And that was a powerful statement to make when you're walking amongst a population of men who are angry, uh, who are somewhat out of control, to say, I just want to do good. I don't want to be involved in your gangs. I don't want to be involved in your politics. I don't want to be involved in how you walk around prison. I want to do good here in this community. I learned that prison was a community and still is a community uh, by the people that were coming through there and wanting to grow emotionally, wanting to grow educationally and physically as well, spiritually. These men were looking up to me in a manner to where the right thing to do was to lead them in a direction that could bring forth some positive changes in their lives, to where they could possibly come back out into this community, our community, and uh, be productive citizens, as opposed to being uh, people that were doing harm. This didn't just happen overnight for me. It didn't. Uh, When I first came to prison, I continued with the negative behavior and patterns that led me there. Uh, Over a course of uh, five years, I continued until one day my dad came up to visit me and... He came alone, he came without my mom, and he cried for the first time. I saw my dad cry in about 30 years, and he said he was sorry for all the pain that he had caused uh, me as I was growing up as a child and my family as I was growing up as a child. I don't know what this connection brought or what this Awakening brought at that time. However, when I left that visiting room, I walked out onto a maximum security yard, and I said, no more. Everyone that I saw was my teacher from that point of how I didn't want to be and how I was striving to be. I didn't want to look at them as negative people because I was once them. I wanted to look at them as people that were in their own process. Over the course of that time, I I started into educational endeavors. I became an electrician, a plumber, certified drug and alcohol counselor. I received my associate's degree. I started growing and doing the things that you would say, "Hey." This is rehabilitation. I'm ready to go home. But I just didn't get it at that point. I wasn't ready to come home. And that's why I was still there. I came to a prison, San Quentin, and that's when I hooked up with Jock. And I started in a Catargio group. The Catargio group taught me about emotional literacy. It taught me about fear. It taught me about shame. It taught me about pain. It taught me about resentment. And those things brought about my spiritual freedom to where I understood that success isn't about what you wear, how you carry yourself. It's about how you live your life. I'm going to Pass the mic over so I can give my, my other colleagues a uh, chance. I'm free for questions, uh, anything. My life is transparent to you, so please feel free to ask any questions you like.
3: My name is Philip Seiler. Um, my story is similar to Pat's, so I won't go into the details during the introduction. Um, I spent 20 years in prison as well um, for killing a man, and his name was Charlie. And... Um, I got out about a year and a half ago. And it took a while to adjust to the difference out here because it's so much different out here um, compared to some of the things that Pat talked about, some of the programs, that I Insight Prison Project programs, and some of the circles that we were able to sit in and and be involved in, and just um, be in that healing place, in that place of self-discovery, in that place of getting below um, what's actually going on around you, but what, what you've actually experienced throughout your life, and, and um, the, the kind of trail that you led and kind of exploring that and figuring it all out, um, which is absolutely an ongoing process. went through a lot of different changes, and uh, one of the things that I realized is that how important it is to, st- to stay in these circles, to be involved in uh, the community work and be involved in sitting with people that are uh, growing and learning and, and, and understanding together. So I, I feel very special. be here and I appreciate that um, I've been welcomed here and it feels really good to be sitting in this room right now with you all. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, inviting us
4: and I'll pass it on. Good morning everyone. My name is Antonio Stinson. Uh, For about 40 years I did life on the installment plan. Going in and coming out, going in and coming out. Um, It took guys like Pat Mims, to teach me what I needed to know about myself. And the one biggest thing that I learned throughout the IPP process is you have to forgive yourself. Once you can honestly look at your life, the mistakes I've made, and forgive myself, it became a lot clearer. Um, Anything I've ever done in my life was by choice. It wasn't my environment. It wasn't the influences. It was by choice. I made a conscious decision to do whatever I did. Today I make a conscious decision to let everyone know change is possible and it truly can reform a man or a woman. Okay. Um, if there's anything you'd like to ask, feel free. Thank you for letting me share today.
1: Yeah, so, so underneath the process that these men testify uh, about is this notion of doing time, right? Bo Lozov, a friend and colleague, wrote a book that uh, got uh, widely distributed in prison called We're All Doing Time. Right? And we are. uh, In prison and outside prison. And in a sense, it's the connection that we study in the practice that really feeds the whole process. Right? I mean, it's, Time is a, it's a good topic for time, right? It's New Year's. Happy New Year's. And, and we can have resolutions, which is not a very Buddhist thing to do, I think, given the, the nature of reality. But we do uh, uh, take a pause and, and say, okay, um, where do I want to go? And so... Um, what I like to pose is, is you know, someone once said, um, how do you know what you want if you don't know what you're doing? And so, in a sense, what we study in the practice is exactly that, right? Is to uh, observe how we are, how we're doing in life. And it's that connection, I think, that that really feeds us and that, uh, if anything, clarifies uh, what we uh, might want. And so these men, other than having gone through the program, uh, are really, uh, uh, in many ways, have made a commitment to uh, remember who they are. Because they forgot when they committed the acts that caused them to go to prison. And we all forget, and then we get to remember. So, um, I think the project in many ways um, has played and experimented with taking the, uh, the benefits of, of uh, mindfulness, and find new language and new application for it in a multi-ethnic incarcerated population, which is different than Spirit Rock, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: for example. Same what? Same,
0: same, same off. offering. <laughs>
1: right, same offering, right. Um, and so now we're at a point where we're starting to document that and putting it together and. Uh, uh, the other juncture we're making is there's so many wonderful men like these gentlemen on the out now um, that informally are contributing to their community that we thought we should really organize an initiative around that and and formalize it. And so we have. It's called Inside Out. And... um, We're going to be working with a lot of youth in the East Bay, Richmond predominantly, but Oakland as well. Uh, We have a contract with a school where we're starting, working with six, seven, eight graders, and trying to get on the other side of the pipeline, because the pipeline it is. There's 20,000 parolees in the Bay Area, if you didn't know. It's like an army division. And the whole system is set up for them to keep coming back. And even now, when we're out of money in California, that uh, system thunders on, and uh, it's um, sort of selling suffering as a commodity. That's how I look at it, the prison industrial complex. But that's not why we're here, although I could easily go there. we're really here uh, to share some stories and, and uh, have some dialogue with you about uh, what was learned right, in uh, staring down the demons, in uh, taking the, the hard long look. And um, how shall we do it? Shall, Ian, shall we uh, say something in addition and then open it up? Actually, you have a good story to tell. And you mentioned forgiveness. Um, I had um, the benefit of having Antonio in one of my classes. And are you, up? are you up for sharing this part? I had Antonio in one of my classes when uh, some difficult news came in, which was that his son, his oldest son was killed. And uh, prison is a difficult environment. I mean, it's always hard, of course, to hear that kind of news. But when you're in prison, you can't go to the funeral. They don't don't let you go out. And Antonio uh, has been on a very remarkable journey with that fact. And uh, he mentioned forgiveness. So I was wondering if you're willing to share about that.
4: on July the 23rd 2007 I was in the process of getting my life together finally becoming someone finally becoming a man and taking responsibility for all of my actions Uh, 11 p.m. that night I received a phone call from the lieutenant to come to the office and I went up to the lieutenant's office and I knew something was wrong because there were two other guards there. And um, the imam came in and told me I had a phone call. And he made the phone call. it was my ex-wife telling me that my son, Antonio Stinson Jr., had just been murdered. Um... There's no, no pain that of the loss of a child. I had so many dreams shattered at that precise moment. Things that I planned to do, things that I wanted to show my son, how his father had changed, how I could be a role model for him. Unfortunately, that'll never happen. I can always have another son, but I can never have another junior. Um, In the process of all of this, I was in Cotardio with Jock and James. And uh, you're placed where you're placed at the exact moment you need to be there in life. There are no mistakes. There are no givens. You're just there. And I'm thankful that I was just there. Um, it taught me how to sit through that pain, how to feel that fire, and that it was a good thing. It was a cleansing thing. It wasn't a bad thing. I also learned through the process that I had to forgive someone. You know, I had to forgive the young man who murdered my son I made a promise in prison that I would do everything I could to help him so that he wouldn't spend the rest of his life in prison or get the death penalty. I started making phone calls the day I got out of prison to find out where he was, who he was, and who was helping his case. I ended up meeting with his attorney and her investigator. and. Uh, Three months after I was out of prison, the judge took the death penalty and life without off the table. The district attorney moved that there be mitigating circumstances added to the case so that he would get a lesser time in prison. Um, I still haven't met him face to face, but I forgive him every day that I think about my son. And I was able to give a gift back to his family. He's able to come home in 13 years. So I pray every day that uh, he doesn't get caught up in the gangs of the system and that he learns what I learned. And he can honestly make a difference in his community just by forgiving, starting with yourself.
1: Just take a breath for a moment. See with that I think it was Dostoevsky who spoke about living your life in such a way that you can be worthy of your suffering. I love that phrase, to be worthy of your suffering. Not, you know, because we're into pain, but because exactly there it's possible to discover humanity. Because humanity is lost when life is taken. It isn't just an individual case, it isn't just his son. But uh, there's something that needs to be restored on that bigger level. And so, uh, it's truly heroic for those that undertake that.
4: You have anything you want to add to that? thank you again um, um wow well, I've been out of prison about three years now. I went from making twenty dollars a month in prison to making forty two thousand a year with the help of what i p p has taught me I studying to be a drug and alcohol counselor. I am working on my b a for social work Um, I work at a halfway house on graveyard shift which is an experience Um, I work at a shelter on swing so I've been truly blessed it's not because of the jobs I have it's not because of the money they give me but it's the opportunity to learn more about nature about people I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed to be able to stand here today and know that uh, my son would be proud of me. I'm attempting to open up my own transitional living center so that I can take guys right out of San Quentin prison, give them a place to stay for about a year. They don't have to pay any bills so that they can go to school. Because it's, it's truly hard once you get out. It's It's truly hard. Uh, there 's a lot of bills that come at you right away there 's a lot of debt that we 've left there 's a lot of wreckage that we have and sometimes we forget to forgive ourselves again. You know we did those things it 's honest it 's true, but you can be forgiven if you start forgiving yourself it 's a truly mind blowing experience for me to be able to have all of these things happen to me in a short period of time. Because I didn't believe in myself. I never believed in myself. So I always took the easy way out. There were days when, man, climbing up that rainbow was so hard. But I had to keep focused that once I got to the top, I would slide down into a pot of gold. You know, and the gold I'm speaking about comes from within. It's emotional gold. My heart is just so wide open now. I can receive anything from anyone, and that's one of the wonderful things that ever happened to me. It's it's truly amazing how no matter where I am or where I have to go, I get there. I I go there. I don't know where the strength comes from. I don't know where the knowledge comes from. All I know is it just happens. It happens.
1: I guess that includes taking the bus over to... Yeah. El Camino and I was, you know,
4: right? yeah you know it, it's it's fortunate I, I lived here in redwood city before so I, I knew the area but i was coming from oakland on a sunday <laughs> on public transportation <laughs> what a journey <laughs>
3: uh me and jock uh jock kind of mentioned mentioned compassion last night and so i've been thinking a little bit about compassion um and for me, how important it is to uh, keep that close to me and and keep it a part of me. Um, I can't believe after that nice calming, relaxing sit that we just shared that I'm so nervous, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's in this moment, and this moment will pass. it already has passed um, so I thought about. Um, How important that is in my life um, to keep compassion close to me and to keep aware of how important it is. Um, It felt easier strangely enough to keep it really close to me in prison because the work that I was doing on a daily basis um, the several programs I was involved in working with the at-risk youth, and I say working with, because they're doing the hardest work of changing their lives. I'm just trying to help them find ways of doing that. Um, And working with victims and survivors of uh, really serious crimes and just sitting in them circles and and being a part of that. Um, I realized that... That's a important uh, component, a really important component to keep that close on a daily, minute by minute basis. is is to uh, have compassion for myself and, and everybody around me in in you know in every situation. I thought about um, a time about three years ago when I was in a prison transfer port. Uh, van and I was in this van with what I found out soon it was about a couple hour drive and I found out early on that I was sitting in this van with a, a young woman that just turned 16 years old and I was the first thing I thought was how in the world is this girl sitting in a van in a transport van with somebody who has murdered somebody, how in the world does that happen? Um, and of course, there was steel grating in between the seats, um, so we wasn't like sitting next to each other. Or anything. Um, and I also thought, you know, I got to do something. I got to say something. I got to, you know, you know, I got to find out you know what's happening here see if she'll talk at the same time i'm thinking of the prison guards sitting in the front and if they're going to allow this to happen this this 46 year old man talking to this 16 year old woman um and so i was very careful as to how i started the conversation and throughout them two hours in that van um it was just an amazing experience. It, she, was, she opened up. She talked about um, how she got to that situation um, and just really shared her life and, and her history and her family and, and, and uh, the desperate situation that got her there. And I just listened. I just listened to what she had to say. And... and um, it felt like she she probably hadn't talked that much into that much detail about her whole life like that before. It just really felt like she was revealing all of this stuff, not only to me, but to herself. All this, this stuff kind of came together. Um, and throughout the time of this trip that we had together... Um, we was able to we started a little dialogue because at first i was just letting her talk and i was just letting her of course i shared with her who i was and why i was in that van too so she would know who she was talking to um, and she uh we, we had a dialogue and we was able to work through this and to figure out you know what type of changes she could make to get out of this um, situation that she was in and she ran away from home and I found out fairly early on as she was talking that she didn't run away from her family she ran away from this 21 year old man that was abusing her and he was a dope dealer and he was a gang banger and, and, and he basically was abusing her uh, in many different ways because she had a beautiful family and so uh, we just talked about it, and and I let her come up with these ideas and ways that she could shift that over, change that around a little bit. Um, and working, I've worked with all boys in San Quentin for 15 years uh, in, the, in a couple different programs. Um, and so at the beginning of all this, I'm all, geez, you know, I've never... I've never worked with a girl in, on this level before. I'm, I wonder if this, if we can make a connection, if this will work. Um, and it was just so amazing to see that light come into their eyes when they figure, when they figure things out. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to see that in a lot of young men. And I've seen it in Bobby. Her name was Bobby. And I've seen it in, in Bobby. I've seen it when she was, she was just going through her story, talking about what was going on. And it hit her. It's like, wow, you know, yeah, that happened. And yeah, I can change this. And, and, and then she started talking about ways that she could change, ways that she could um, um, work through this. I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, it was just such a full circle. During that two and a half hours um, of being able to start at this point of you know what in the world is going on here, to come to a point to where she the last thing she said is she thanked me, and she said you know I'm going to be all right I'm going to go home and I'm going I'm to give my mom a big hug and I'm going to tell her I love her, and I'm going to I'm going to talk to her I'm going to talk to her about all this and I'm and we're going to figure it out we're going to we're going to move. We're gonna move on. We're gonna move through this, and and uh, and I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish school. I'm gonna to go to college, and I'm gonna be a teacher because that's what she said she wanted to do. She wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, and it was just like, whoa, man! And and working with a lot of youngsters, you can see when they're just telling you what you want to hear, and that that isn't what it was. It was it was really um, she was living it. She was feeling that was that was. A part of her is this is this is my the path I'm going down, and here's how I'm going to do it. And and uh, so what made me think about that is the compassion was right there. It was right beside me. It was like, you know what? How am I? Gonna-? These guards could shut me down, tell me to shut up, and that would be the end of it. I wouldn't be able to say anything. You know, they're just you know, you can't talk, and that's it. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be moved in a way to be able to figure out how to do that, how to give them and her a perfect, clear sign of here's what this conversation is going to be. You know, it's not going to be me trying to get at this this girl. It was going to be, you know, what's going on. And so uh, however that went down, however that happened, um, it worked and uh, the officers told me when they was uncuffing me when I got to San Quentin, they go, uh, they they said uh, one of the the female officer said, you know, we was gonna we kind of looked at each other and we was gonna stop you, and she goes, I'm so glad that we didn't stop you. <laughs> and she said, uh, she said, how'd you do that? <laughs> I mean, so it wasn't just me thinking that, you know, thinking that I did all that. It was, she was like, well, how'd you do that? And I said, I, I work with kids. I've been doing it 15 years. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> it just happened. Um, so I, I've noticed um, recently that I, that compassion hasn't been real close to me. And so I'm glad that Jacques brought that up because it, it brought, it kind of brought it to my attention. It's, it's like, you know, uh, bring that closer. Put that, put that in me, close to me, like it, like, like it has been for so many years, and uh, realize how important it is uh, to have compassion for myself and for everybody around me, no matter what their situation, no matter what their, you know, what their walk in life is. You know, everybody deserves that, and, and it's important to, uh, to feel it, and to live it.
1: Of course, I was mentioning compassion to Philip because he so emanates it. I wasn't doing it to remind him. <laughs> uh, um, when he talked about that story back in prison, we all said, oh, you've got to write that down. you got to write that down. And he worked with a writing teacher and wrote it down. And um, it got published. Ode magazine published it. And it's, it's still on our website somewhere. You have to forgive our website a little bit. It's What happens when you run a nonprofit, you get behind on things. But, but it's still on there somewhere. Um, so uh we're thrilled that uh, oh, you know we're going to be interviewing all three of these guys for a position with inside out, and uh it's just great to have that much talent for that initiative
2: uh earlier, I spoke of gratefulness, and uh, I'm just grateful to be around uh, a group of men uh with so much forgiveness in them, compassion, and love. Um, just yesterday I went out to my car and I, uh, I saw my wind, my driver's side mirror torn off completely. And I said, Whoa, what happened here? There was a little note on the car. Uh, and it said, my name's Edward Brown. Call me at this number to fix your mirror. And, uh, I was grateful for that. Have I contacted him yet? No, then he's not answering. (laughs) I'm grateful he didn't tear up the whole side of my car. Okay? Really, uh, uh, it was a time in my life where I took life for granted. And I took the things in life for granted that are most important. The smell of a flower. Uh, the pitter-patter of little feet of a child, or the laughter of a child, or seeing people out. And uh, to be out now, I'm I'm truly grateful to enjoy moment by moment of what life is really about and living it in that moment. Uh, There's a story I love to tell about how I first came home and I went to the movies, to see a movie called The Soloist. Um, I'm sitting there, there's Jamie Foxx, and this big, huge screen is up. you got to realize it's been 20 years. <laughs> and uh, my friend looks over to me and says, how are you enjoying the movie? And I shook my head and I said, I'm having a good time. But in my mind, I was thinking, whoa, these seats are really comfortable. (laughs) They have cup holders. (laughs) I was grateful (laughs) just to experience. I could take my shoes off at the movies. And this was, it was powerful um, just to experience that. My first Christmas, uh, I I, I work. Uh, I'm I run a program uh, for an organization called Baywards, the Sexually Exploited Minors Program. I'm the program coordinator. Uh, I work in getting teen prostitutes, uh, we like to call them sexually exploited minors, because they're not making that decision. Someone's making the decision for them. Uh, get them off the street and into a productive way of living, teaching them life skills and getting them back on track to being a kid again. Um, So in doing this, I've been able to acquire an apartment and a car, and this is my first place in a long, long time, and my first Christmas, so I bought a Christmas tree, and uh, I went out by myself, I picked it out, And I said, that's the one. I saw it. It was leaning. Charlie Brown, if you (laughs) hadn't. And uh, I went to uh, a store I found out about, a place called Michael's. I don't know if anybody's familiar. (laughs) And I I picked up my bulbs and my uh, little tinsel to put on it and my lights. And I lit it. And it shined in my living room. And I called Jacques, and I said, Jacques, I got a Christmas tree, <laughs> <laughs> and it's on. And uh, I sat there, and I was truly grateful in that moment. I was blessed in that moment. And to be able to share that experience with you is just, I'm, I'm, I'm overjoyed. Seeing you smile and seeing you laugh and... Bringing some joy to your hearts brings joy to mine, because at one point in my life, I took joy from a man named Kevin's heart, from his family's heart, and I took joy from my own heart. So to give that back is a blessing. Thank you.
1: Okay, so uh, having time as a theme here, we're (laughs) definitely uh, messing up the uh, structure of it. Um, why don't we go till 11 then then, uh, you can ask some questions
0: thank you gentlemen for being here Um, I have found myself in an unusual position as support for a friend of mine whose husband was murdered in their home and that trial has been going on for about two and a half years now and the way I get through it personally to go into the courtroom is to use META. And that helps me to for my feelings. The question that keeps coming up in this situation is that of justice and where that lies. Um, So, I guess I would like to know from you um, how to support my friend and myself and all the people who were affected in his family and still have compassion and understanding and um, all the things that you have now gained in your lives uh, for someone possibly who hasn't at this point gained that Um, and to be a part of this process if you have some insight for that for me so that I can be a part of this process for my friend and for the family.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. First of all uh, I'd like to extend my condolences to your friend and Tell you how sorry I am this happened uh, to her family and her loved ones and the community. A terrible crime was committed, and justice is punishment, so to speak. How long that person is to be punished, it really works with inside the person because once that person comes to know themselves to a point to where they're not punishing themselves or others anymore, justice may have been served at that time. Um, There's no time on a life, on a human life. I can honestly say that. There's no sentence that you can issue out to say that there's payment for this life. Life is just too precious. However, there is a place in an an offender's life as well as a victim's life to where each can follow their path to move forward. It doesn't happen for everyone. That's true. They build prisons four people, and some people will spend the rest of their lives there. They may never get it. And some people who are victims and survivors of violent crimes, they may never heal. Uh, sad to say, and some will. Your support is the process, the first very first step in the healing process of your friends. My best advice that I could possibly give in a situation like that is just continue to do what you're doing. There's no magical formula. There's no magical formula in it. It's just the support and the love that you're showing.
0: Thank you.
1: Just just to add a little bit with that. The court process itself is very traumatizing. I've spoken to victims where they say, you know, the the court process was more traumatizing than than the crime, which is an extreme statement to make. The courts handle the facts. They don't address the wounds. I had a a gang member recently say, hurt people, hurt people. And then his apprentice said, yes, but heal people, heal people. And so, uh, it's really getting to the bottom of the pain from for both parties, and naming it, feeling it. That begins to uh, do the healing.
0: I guess what I'm also asking is: Are there any active programs that are available while the court system, while the process is going on?
1: There are mediators that do dialogues. We have people on our staff. I'm, I'm trained myself that way. We have other people that are uh, professionally trained that way. Um, you know, The, the usual two uh, points up front is that the offender um, admits guilt, so there's no re-traumatizing of the victim, and that the victim initiates it. Usually that happens after this ends.
0: Thank you all.
3: Uh, I'd just like to add that, just for the here and now, um, it's probably important to put as little as energy for everyone involved to put as little bit little as little as energy into. Um, the negative parts of it of the other person that did the crime and the anger and the you know and just all that, so that there's more room for energy to support one another as this process is going on, which probably isn't easy, but it seems to me that if that energy shifted there could be a much more supportive atmosphere and you know and and togetherness in on that
1: on that side of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: One more question.
0: Thank you. Um, The victims I work with are cops. Excuse me? The victims I work with are cops. Uh Uh-huh. Spent the last uh, 30 years, continue to work uh, as a police psychologist. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, um, are there programs that uh, are available when the cops are victims, or their families are victims? Reconciliation Uh, kind of programs.
1: Right. Um, Not officially you know, and this reconciliation stuff is is bad for business. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, it doesn't have official support. But, you know, just as when you bring in life, you have a bond immediately, right? When you take it out, there's also a bond that I'm starting to observe. And it's not for everybody to engage that bond, but it is for some and for those who are willing. There's a lot to be gained. And, um, you know, just even to understand, you know, because often the question is, why? You know, why did you do this, right? And it doesn't make sense, but there's still meaning to be found in in the dialogue, in the coming together. But is there an official organization that I could recommend? Um, there's circles. There are restorative justice programs beginning to uh, work in the community. So there are circles of support, uh, uh, and there uh, there are mediators working that. Um, but I um, couldn't name them uh, one, two, three here. Okay, that'll be the last. Listen, I'd like to say thank you uh, for coming, gentlemen. All right. My question to you is: um, You said
3: that uh, the time that you spent, you had choices. All right. And uh, the
1: time inside that you learned and come around uh, to make better choices or more informed choices. Um, my question to you is: um, You don't necessarily, in my opinion, need to be in jail in order to be spending time. All right. uh, what do you say for those people that are not in jail, that are still going through pain and loss and death, All right. still, still spending time, All right. what do you say for us? <laughs> any, any of you want, you want to tackle
2: that one? <laughs> <laughs> I, would,
3: I would say that um, what I found is the most important thing um, for me to do is to talk about whatever it is that I'm going through with somebody that I know cares, um, with a professional, with... um, I've done a lot of writing about a a lot of my stuff. Uh, I think that if there's an outlet, you know, of course you don't have to go to prison to to find an outlet. Um, If there's an outlet that that one is... um, Familiar with that one is comfortable with. Uh, I think getting whatever it is uh, outside of you, so it's not in you and just stuck in there. Um, like I said, whether that's talking to somebody, whether that's writing it down, whether that's doing some other kind of um, experiential work. Um, I think that's the most important thing: is to get it out there and and get it outside of yourself, outside of your body, and 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 um, kind of move through it in that way, because um, that's the opposite of what I did all my young life. I just shoved it all in, shoved it all in, shoved it all in, all the stuff, and ended up exploding. Um, some people implode and do and, and you know harm themselves in one way or another—addictions or whatever. Um, and so I come to found for me that was the most most important thing I ever did. I was I was the kid that would never stand up in front of a class and talk. I would never <laughs> even come close to that. And uh I realized how damaging that was to, to just keep everything inside me. And um now sometimes you can't shut me up. <laughs> 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 so I'll pass it, when you have it.
1: Briefly.
2: Uh briefly. What I want to say is there's something going on in everybody at some time or another. And it's about admitting what's going on with yourself. And then at the same time, when you admit it, it's about making an effort to do something about it. There were times where I knew what was going on and I wouldn't make the effort to do anything about it. And there were feelings behind that. There was shame, there was resentment, there was fear. And those things can hold you back uh in your prison for as long as you live if you don't address them. So just to give it some thought. Those are some powerful things to think about. That shame, that fear, and that resentment. Shame will keep you from sharing it with anybody. And it'll keep it locked in you. Fear will keep it locked in you. Resentment will have you tightening up and keep it locked in you. So un- unleash that key.
1: I'd like to thank you for having us and uh can you tell us how we can
0: support your programs? Oh, sure. I'd love to. <laughs>
1: you, you get one of the hugs today. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, uh, we are a nonprofit organization, um, struggling as any nonprofit is right now. And uh, um, we welcome any donations you would make. You can do it online uh, as well. Um, um, you can talk to me after the talk or any of these gentlemen. Uh, and, and you can also decide if you want to uh, support the work inside the prison or the new initiative um, where we're going to work with youth. And, and uh, It's a miracle we exist. It's, you know, And we're, we only exist because people are learning what we're doing by coming in, sitting in on classes, and, and really <laughs> getting excited about it. Um, So any help and support you you can offer uh, is is very much appreciated and is really the lifeline for for the project.
0: What is the website,
1: please? It's insightprisonproject.org. Yeah. Great, thank you.